Hello, Stephen. Hello, Martin. How are you today? Doing all right and yourself? Oh, I'm upright and breathing, buddy. Upright and breathing. Same here. So I'm glad that you actually um, asked to be on here because I know a lot of people um, have some questions about what's going on with the DNR and um, their rules and regulations in regards to hunter safety. So with that being said, why don't we get right into it and start off right off the bat? Hey, so I'm going to talk a little bit about myself first, if that's quite all right. Yeah, that's that's fine. Go ahead and introduce yourself and, and let us know a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Martin, for having me on and talk about hunter safety. A little bit, a little bit about myself to start off. Born and raised in Michigander, got involved, got involved in hunting at a very young age with my dad taking me out hunting with him. There are two hunts that come to mind that rem- that I remember like yesterday. But in my opinion, you remember every hunt you go on. So with that being said, that brings us to today's topic of Hunter Ed. I took Hunter Ed back in 1997 at an MUCC summer camp up near Alpena, if I remember correctly. Just shortly after I went through Hunter Ed, my dad became a Hunter Ed instructor almost a year year um, after I did that. Fast forward a few years in the summertime, uh, just after I got my first job, I would go help my dad with his hunter ed classes with tree stand safety. Just after my dad started teaching, my mom became an instructor as well to help my dad with his classes. This is when my interest in becoming an instructor was born. So I ended up putting it, putting off becoming an instructor for a number of years until a few years, years ago when I was looking for a good range to just go shoot and target practice and whatnot. I began asking my dad about who would be a good, who would be good to work with on becoming an instructor, and that's when I got connected with Rockford Sportsman's Club up in Rockford, Michigan. Plus, I was looking for another place to go target shooting as well. I'll elaborate more on becoming an instructor in a little bit if that's all right. Yeah, that's that's fine. Um, so when we obviously. Hunter, hunter education is very important due to safety aspects and and basically gets your foot in the ground. Um, with what's gone on the last year, how has that changed the way um, Hunter Ed is taught and how it um, is presented? So, so really the presentation hasn't changed that much. Um, you do you do have an option of taking Hunter Ed online. Um, last year, right before the hunting season, um, I'm going to say midsummer, the DNR announced that if you take the Hunter Ed online, it was good through the end year 10th. Um, the certificate you print off from taking Hunter Ed online, and I will post links for, for this stuff. Um, when you post this podcast, um, was good for as a temporary hunter ed certificate. That what that means is that does not give you a your Michigan hunter ed certificate. You still have to go through a field day, which I'll elaborate on that a little bit more in a little bit. Um, then later, a couple of weeks later, they um, announced that 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 temporary certificate would be good through what was it? I think June of of this year. So okay, a lot of so, a lot of so 
can't I'm sorry, because they can't take the field test because of of the social distancing aspect and all of that. Um, that certificate that you get online is good through is it the end of June or the beginning of June? I believe it was good through the end of June. Okay. But just after they announced that, um, in August of last year, they did announce as long as an instructor goes through COVID training, we were able to hold just field day classes only. So that okay. so that got some clubs and instructors teaching um, to at least get the field day done. So this year clubs and instructors wouldn't be so overwhelmed as it were with students trying to get in get a get at least the field day in portion in before say spring turkey season right okay um i'm trying to find my notes here yeah here we go hold on just a second um i am gonna with with in order to take hunter ed you have it is a requirement if you were born after January 1st, 1960, or if you plan on going out west, say elk hunting. A lot of states are mandating that you have a hunter ed certificate, and then they go through a couple of little other tests out west as well, like, okay, making sure your equipment's set up to make an ethical shot and all those jazzes, but that's state by state out west. Okay, so let's let's back that up. You said as long as you're you're older than 1960. Um, I was born in 77. Took my hunter's ed class in oh god, I think it was 1990 somewhere in there. I have no clue where my hunter safety uh, certificate is. Is there a way to get that if I decide to go, let's say I'm going to go to Colorado and, and I need that. Is there a way to get that, um, get a hold of that again? Yes, yes, there is a way to get a hold of that. I was actually going to elaborate that on that a little bit. But since you brought that up, I can do that now. Um, when you do post this podcast, I will post a link for that as well. It does take a couple, um, say you're going to go out say for September, that would be something I would be working on now, um, trying to get your a replacement certificate because um, that does take a little time. They're not in the office every day in Lansing. So it is one of those things where that will take a little bit of time to get a, get a replacement certificate. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and continue um, with work going or getting your, your hunter safety certificate. Okay, so we've already elaborated on in the in-person class. A lot of clubs do it differently. At Rockford, we do three days, a Monday, Wednesday, and a Saturday class. Uh, uh, bear with me here as I look at my notes here. That's fine. If you were to do the online class, I will have a link for that as well. Um, that is a thirty day. That is a thirty dollar charge to take it online. This, uh, I'm not sure how that charge all works out with the state and the company the state uses. And then, um, like I said, you still do have to take a 
field date in order to get that Michigan Hunter Ed certificate. Uh, you do have about 90 days to take the online class in order to participate in the field day because I some instructors want to see that some want to hang on to that so that's up to the individual instructor or club um, and when we do have a field day class all instructors are instructed to follow state and federal CDC guideline, guidelines for COVID-19 okay um, so where do you want to go next as far as the, the next step to continue on you you've scheduled a field day we've done a field day or we're waiting on a field day what is the next step in, in the process so as you're going through um i will post i will post several links of everything we talked about i'll post the link like i said for finding getting a law certificate finding a class um a class um you do have to go online to find that class and then i will post like i said the link for the online class and a link for becoming an instructor um if you have any questions on Feel free to reach out to me. I will help you out the best I can. Um, if I can't get an answer, I will get you to the county that you're in and get you to that. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The head instructor or the um, the person for that county that the county coordinator for Hunter Ed. Okay. And then and then they'll be able to help out with with that as well so i do have a list of the counting coordinators um if you contact me during the day i may not be able to do anything right away um give me a couple hours and i when i get home from work and i will be able to help help you out with that okay so we're gonna rewind a little bit i actually got my notes finally <laughs> put up my computer has been running really slow um it says you're your club does it this way. It says your um, in-person is three or four days long. On the first day of class, it's obviously filling out the paperwork. Going through some videos and just kind of going through zones of fire and whatnot. Okay. Let's elaborate on the zones of fire. What is that exactly? So if you're out bird hunting, say you're out grouse hunting for example you're going to walk in a straight line everybody should be wearing hunters orange obviously um there's a great video if i can find a link for the video i will post this as um as to for this but think of it you're in a straight line you're walking in you want to reach your arms out and make a v so anything in front of your arms is what you would shoot you're um say you're next to me martin my right. overlap with a part of your v um so if it's if it gets past one point then you take over and it's just, that v is constantly moving as you're walking through the woods or a field okay gotcha um obviously let's let's go through the the three important rules of gun safety because that's that's a big thing safety is a big thing with your hunter ed courses so the big the big three that recover always watch your muzzle finger off the trigger treat every firearm as if it were loaded okay perfect now fast forward we'll we'll go to the second day 
at your club. Um, so you cover archery and tree stand safety, hands-on for archery at the end of the class. What do you guys cover as far as the tree stand safety aspect of it? We cover types of harnesses, um, the harness. Um, we cover using how to set up a tree stand, even though everything is already set up. We still cover how to set that set a tree stand up. The ropes that I use personally, um, there's one other, ins- one other instructor uses almost the same setup that I do. And then cover those, demonstrate how the cur- it's called a cursor knot on the rope. So if, with what that does is as you're as you're climbing, if you were to fall out of your tree stand or if you were to fall as you're climbing, that cursor knot is, or purser's knot, I'm sorry, is going to sit there and grab that rope. Your body weight's going to lock that knot into the rope so you don't fall any further. Um, when you do talk about tree stands um, on a future podcast, I'm willing to come out and if you want, can do a video with the podcast, I'm willing to come out and demonstrate that now for you. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we don't even have to have to do it with the pod. I mean, it could just be um, a video on how because obviously that's that's something that's going to save your life for sure um i can i can give you one in, um example of why you need your tree stand equipment uh i was just after every year i would set up a tree stand for our archery season only i would never gun hunt out of a tree stand that's me i don't feel comfortable with that so i went out with my cousin to go take down my tree stand got my stand down got my two upper ladder sections tied um untied from the tree went to untie my third section or no i got my first section untied went to get my second session on section untied my ladder buckled on me i had my mountain uh lineman's belt on like what you see telephone people use when they're working on telephone poles right i had that belt on my safety gear and my ladder buckled on me i had my cousin luckily i had my cousin with me had him go meet my dad back up at my grandparents house they came out with the ladder transitioned over to that ladder finished taking everything down for the most part i was comfortable until i had until the help came to get me out of the tree stand because i didn't know what to do and i wanted to have another person there just to make sure i was okay right that's the big thing is you know you're taught at an early age when you go out have somebody with you um have somebody there in case something bad happens in your exactly. the buckle of the the ladder or you know tell somebody where you're going to be if you can't have somebody there and- exactly and you just touched on a point that on our third day when we do our field day one of the stations is for a hunt and you just touched on leave what you're where you're going to go leave a map leave directions leave your phone number um i always leave a i carry a radio with me i leave a radio home for my mom and dad just so that way okay they're coming out to help find me say something happened they I'm not home by a certain time. Okay, I've got a radio. They've got the radio. They know where I'm going. They can get, as soon as they get there, they can get on the radio. Where are you? Right. See, that's the big thing with me is I, luck, I'm lucky enough to have five acres um, behind me. But if something still, even if something happens, you know, Kelly, my wife, knows where I'm at, where I'm going to be, or in the general area of where I'm going to be. So if I do happen to fall out of my tree stand or, you know, I I trip and and break my leg and can't get back up to the house, she knows to expect me 10 minutes after it's dark. So if I'm not back, then then she knows that something's wrong. Exactly. So I'm kind of interested in this demonstration 
celebration that you guys do on the third day about um, firearm safety. It says you go to the range and demonstrate what a shotgun does to a human leg by shooting a two by four. What a pellet round will do going through a wall. Like, what is the general reaction of, of both of these things? Kids are very shocked. It, it just demonstrates the power of what a firearm can do and the devastation a firearm can do. And, and and when the kids see that, they are utterly shocked. It's like, oh, we do need to take this seriously. Right. A pellet round. Are you talking like a one seven seven or a twenty two caliber? Like a twelve like a twelve gauge with number eight shot. Okay. I was thinking pellet gun and, and you're still on a shotgun. So okay. How does it how does it go over with the students when when you're showing them how to load and shoot a muzzle loader? That has to be one of the highlights of the of the day. It is, it is. Um I what I do when I do do the muzzle um muzzle loading, I'll explain it from say like you're taking it out of your say you're at at deer camp deer camp cabin's warm i'll demonstrate from taking it from inside the house all the way to snapping a cap kind of drying up all that moisture and say using a patch where you gotta then go back in throw it away um snap a couple of caps load it explain okay even though the material online or in the book covers this it's still better for the kids to see it um ask them try to quiz them as i'm doing it Okay, do you want to load your powder from your container, like triple seven from the plastic container that it comes in? Or do you want to use a measuring device for your powder? Oh, no, we just pour it right in, buddy. <laughs> then, then you got a hand grenade sitting right there. And it just goes through to just the safety aspect of using a muzzleloader because a muzzleloader is a dangerous firearm like a shotgun or a rifle. But there's a little bit more elevated risk with it with not having everything contained in a shell it's all loose and you got to do everything by hand in order to load a muzzle loader okay now you guys do archery what on the second day it says correct we do second do archery second day what where the students get a chance to shoot a bow um they are recurves it's we're only they're only shooting like 10 12 feet nothing nothing spectacular but on the third day it just reads show okay make showing how you're making sure your equipment your equipment is sighted in for you um we set up a deer at 15 yards um my lead instructor will shoot his crossbow i'll shoot my compound um at 15 then we'll shoot out at 30 with our sights still at 15 and then i adjust my bow sight just to that distance and shoot the deer to show the kids the difference of how knowing your archery equipment for example is set up for you and why it's important to have your equipment set up for the distances you're shooting okay so it says on the on the third afternoon, you set up six or seven stations. Tell me about that. All right. So um, so with those stations, it just kind of gives the students a hands-on trying to put everything they've learned from the material into practice. Such as? So, so that first station is going to be uh, like simulating crossing a fence either by yourself or with another hunter. So say we're, cross, say we're hunting together. We come across fence. What do you do to cross? How do you cross that fence with your firearms? Gotcha. So one student will unload, cross that fence, hand the firearm over. The other student will unload, hand his firearm, his or her firearm over, and then cross. If you're by yourself, then uh, so then if you're by yourself, what? Do you, how do you cross the fence by yourself? Gotcha. You're carrying, say you're carrying a backpack, you got a hat on, unload your firearm, 
put your hat over the muzzle, set your firearm down on your bag, or put that stuff over the fence. You step down, say, three or four feet, then you cross that fence, come back around, grab your stuff, reload your firearm, and then you're good to go. Okay. Um, Second station is going to be shooting 22 rifles and finding your dominant eye. In order to find your dominant eye, what you want to do is put your hands out, make a little circle um, with your hands, and slowly move your move your hands to your eyes. And whatever eye that your hands move to is considered your dominant eye. For me, if I do that, I'm left eye dominant. And a lot of kids are surprised to find out what eye they're dominant when they do that little fun test. See, I was taught a, a different way. I was taught you always start with, with your right hand and your thumb up. And you put your thumb on an object and you close your right eye. Okay. When you close your left eye, if your left eye, if your thumb moves off of that object, your left eye dominant. If it doesn't, then your right eye dominant. Yeah, see that that one I've never heard. I've always I was always taught put your hands in a triangle, make a little circle in your hand, and move your move your hands to your eyes with both eyes open. Hmm. See, like my dad's right hand dominant, but left eye dominant. Yeah, see, that's that's me. Is it screwed me up when I was younger because I'm right-handed, but I'm left-eye dominant. So for the I don't know the first six seven years of my hunting life, I was shooting. It, it didn't affect me for my compound shooting because I was I was proficient enough. I used a right-hand bow and I was fine. But when it comes to rifle shoot, I was off the target about two and a half inches to the left, shooting right-handed. I turn around and shoot left-handed, and I'm hitting bullseyes all day. Wow. Yeah, so it really it really screwed me up. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm both right-hand and right-eye dominant, so for oh, me— You're lucky. For, yeah, I'm lucky. Uh, there's some students that are could be— Left hand dominant, right eye dominant. So it, so that that little eye test will determine what eye dominant you are and how to work with that as you get older. When you start getting into target shooting and getting things sighted in for your for you for firearm season. All right. So um, you're, you're the third. Oh, sorry. The, Go ahead. The third station we already touched on this is preparing for a hunt. What's carrying a pack? Um, leaving your wherever you're gonna go. Who, who you're with, your game plan, where you're going to be, what time you're going to be back. Then station four is shooting a shotgun at a clay target off of on a trap field. That is very fun to see kids when they break that clay the first time. That is very fun to watch them do that as well. A lot of them end up choosing either a 410 or a 20 gauge just because it's a little lighter, less recoil. Right. Uh, it, say I'm an instructor and I'm helping out another instructor with that. I'm I'll sit there and shoot that because I I love trapping skeet shooting. I, that's just something I've just gotten into in the last six seven months. Are my scores all that great? No, but do I have fun doing it? Heck yes. And that's all that matters. Exactly. Can't hit clay targets to save my life, Stephen. I I've tried. I've gone on. I don't know how many how many times I've gone to a, a trap and skeet and I just, I can't hit a clay target to save my life. 
there's just it, it's either I'm I'm just not that interested because it's not you know a game bird or whatever, but I just I can't hit one to save my life. Yeah, I'm actually thinking about joining our spring trap league this year at the club I'm at. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, do I want to do that or do I just want to shoot it for fun, improve my scores a little bit, try to improve my scores a little bit more before I do that. Hmm. Uh, so going back to everything here, uh, the fifth station is blood trailing a down deer, what to do, how to trail, taking your time, what signs to look for. And then after that station, we come to preparing for the test. Before, before you do that, though, I, I kind of, with, with the blood trailing a deer, do you talk about bringing, and at what point do you bring a dog in or anything? Yeah. Uh, and that's up to the how the instructor runs that because each station is run by an instructor. I'm I just know that the how these stations are set up. I'm okay. not remember 100 how e- what each station is talked about. Gotcha. Um, like last year when we did have our one field day, we had to condense it into about four hours because we had two groups we had to get through with the instructors taking time to have lunch ourselves. So we, we kind of condensed everything a little bit. And this um, With Rockford Sportsman's Club, we do have our field day coming up April 24th. So I'm not sure our lead instructor is still kind of working on how that's all going to work out because there is another group that's going to be up there as well at the same time we're going to be there. So I'm not sure how everything's going to work. This is just kind of a general idea of what one club does. Each club, each instructor does their field day, does their classes different. Okay. So once they come in get everything situated, um, it says you guys, the sixth um, station is getting ready to take the test. You go through that. They take their test. What happens next? So after after the test prep station, then then we have all the kids come back together as a one big group. We'll have a conservation officer come in for about 10, 15, 20 minutes, talk about the laws, kind of talk about the rules and regs handbook, read those front to cover, back to front, memorize, try to memorize it the best that you can, and then we'll explain the test. We'll have this, if there's any students that has like a reading disability that knows that they need to have the test read, read to them, and then an instructor will take a group of kids or just that one individual, um, take them to a separate area. We'll sit there, read the test to the students because we, um, we can't discriminate against any of that as an instructor. Right. We have all students the ability to pass the course. In, well, order, that... in order to pass the course, you have to score an 80% or better on the test. Okay. Then once you pass the test, then they'll... Our lead instructor will hand you your certificate and a couple of little extra goodies. And mom and dad comes, picks up, picks up the student and they're done for this. They're done with Hunter Ed. That certificate is theirs for life. Okay, perfect. Now you said that um, safety instructors and stuff like that, you guys are looking for instructors right now, right? Because of everything going on. And before even COVID, the dinner is always looking for instructors for Hunter Ed, Bow Hunter Ed, uh, Snowmobile, ORV, Trapper. We're always looking for instructors for that county. If you are interested in becoming an instructor, feel free to get a hold of me. I will get in contact with that county coordinator or I will post them again. I will post a link about becoming a hunter ed instructor 
And um, if you have questions, I will try to answer those as the best that I can. Otherwise, I will direct you to that county coordinator. For me, my county coordinator for Kent County is my dad. Oh, you cheated. <laughs> That's funny. Depends on what county you're in. Um, there's some counties that don't even have a county coordinator right now. So then you got then I'll give you the county coordinator for either the county above you, below you, to the east or to the west of you, and they'll be able to should be able to help you out as well. Okay. If somebody wants to become an instructor, what are the requirements needed to become an instructor? So in order to become a an instructor, you have to be at least 18 years of age, be a high school graduate, or possess a graduate equivalency diploma or a GED, have no felony convictions, um, have no misdemeanor convention convictions in the past three years no natural re- resource law convictions which means your hunting rights or your fishing rights or whatever isn't hasn't been taken taken from you in the last five years okay hold um, a second. so basically you can't be a poacher is what that that's basically what boils down to <laughs> um a lot of the violations if you are stopped by a conservation officer a lot of the violations are up to the discretion of the of the conservation officer um for example so, let me let me let me ask you this because when i was young and dumb back when i was i don't know i wasn't thinking i went out with my dog and my shotgun and went down in the swamp and didn't even think about hunter orange because i i wasn't with anybody i just me and my dog on my grandparents property didn't think about it and i got stopped obviously um they gave me a ticket i paid the fine but that's still obviously on my record what is that what would they do about that if i was to those are that's gonna then that's gonna be up to the um the dnr on what they want to do on that gotcha. with with that being so far ago they may say yeah go for it reading that that's a great teaching subject matter to bring up in the class is to use that so so some of them are going to be up to the dnr on how they want to do it if you're stopping in the field it's going to be officer discretion on what he wants to do for a ticket um if it's if it's something stupid and minor he just may write let you go with the warning if it's something a little bit more serious he may write you a ticket so it's it is all up to officer discretion i think you but just dropped off so everything's gonna be up to officer officer discretion on what they want to do in the field for example i was getting getting ready to head home from here the co that we have come in i'll just back up just a little bit more here so if you're stopped in the field by a conservation officer Depending on what the violation he is stopping you for, that's going to be up to his discretion on what he whether he wants to give you a ticket or not. It's just same thing like a, if you're getting pulled over by a police officer, he, depending on what it is, it's going to be officer discretion there as well. Um, for me, a couple of years ago, coming out coming out of the woods from a deer hunt, the CO that comes into our class to teach comes in, asks me how I was, how I did, and if I saw anything, asked him if you wanted to see my licenses. He said, "No, I know you're good because you're an instructor." Right. So it is. So sometimes it is officer discretion. Nine out of ten times, a CO or conservation officer will ask to see your licenses. Well, and that's the thing is when when I. I haven't been approached very many times, but the times that I have been approached, you can see them coming. You know they're coming. So I just get my stuff out already and say, you know, here's my stuff. And like you said, nine times out of ten, they're like, yeah, I don't need that. But there, there is always that one chance that he's going to 
start checking, make sure you get your tags, make sure you're, you know, in, in the case of trapping, if, if your traps are, are tagged with your name and, and phone number and things like that. So, um, say you're ice fishing, making, making sure your tip ups are, have your name, name, I think it's name, address, and phone number on your tip up. Um, same thing with tree stands. If it's a tree stand out on public property, it's got to have your name, address, and I believe phone number on it visible from the ground. Well, and in that case, like I put my I put my name and address and telephone number on my trap tags, but I know some guys they just write their driver's license number down on it. I mean, that's a quick quick way to save time, but it also gives the pertinent information that the the um, officer needs. Correct. So so that that goes back to making sure you read your rules and regulations. Make sure you're following how everything needs to be labeled according to what you're doing. Right. Um, going back to becoming an instructor, um, you gotta maintain a high moral and ethical character to pass the required background investigations and be a graduate of the appropriate recreational safety course you want to help teach. Okay. How long does it take to process and and how long does it take to get your stuff and, and get up and running? It does It does take a couple of weeks. What you got to do is you got to download the application, find an instructor that's willing to work with you, going um, going as a volunteer, as a, a volunteer as not as an instructor, but just to go in, help, help them in whatever way. Try to be as knowledgeable about the material, about the course. If he thinks you're going to be a good, good fit to be an instructor, they'll sign off on that. You mail your application back into the DNR. They will run the background check. They will check everything. Um, if you are approved, they will mail you a packet that will contain a test that you have to take as an instructor. You'll get the policies and procedures for whatever recreational course you want to teach. You got, uh, you have to pass that test as well. I believe you got to pass that with like an 85, if I remember correctly. And then if once that's all approved, you'll get your vest, a hat, and your name tag all in the mail. And then you're good to go to teach a hunter ed class. For an instructor, in order to teach, you have to have a minimum of another instructor with you in that class, depending on the number of students. If you're, I think it's like one to 50, I think it's one, two instructors, over 50 at three or more, and so on and so forth. I don't remember all the specifics on it because I got the policies and procedures in, in my in the house. So I just lost my train of thought here. Hang on. When you when you get your certificate to to become an instructor, is that a yearly yearly thing you have to recertify every year? Is it five years? How long does it last? Every three years you have to recertify. As long as you're teaching, I think it's one or two classes a year. No, no, I think it's one class every year. Attend a county coordinator seminar. So like, for example, like I said earlier, my dad's my county coordinator. If he's putting on a hunter ed seminar, then I then I will attend that every year. Um, they didn't do it last year, but every year the DNR does an academy for new instructors. Once all the spots are filled with new instructors, they open it up to everybody else who wants to apply. It's like a four days of seminars, hands-on activities, everything else um it's a very fun four-day getaway up up north on higgins lake i did it the first year i had a ball with it um at night they they have activities for you to do at night if you want to participate um it is at the ralph mcmillan center up on higgins lake very beautiful area 
That's on the south side of Higgins Lake, isn't it? I think it's the north side. Is it the north side? I couldn't remember. I believe it's the north side. Okay. They had for us for dinner one night, New York Strip. Woohoo. Um, what salmon? Um, license and fees are going. <laughs> it, and it's all paid for by the DNR. They, they have um, they have funds that the state gets funds for hunter ed programs and instructor development and all that from the federal government. So the so it, those funds are all based off of instructor teaching time. So the more teaching time we get in with students, the more funds we get from the federal government. Okay. Well, I think we've covered a lot. There is one other thing I would like to cover as well. If okay. You, real quick. Sure, go ahead. Uh, if, a, if somebody approaches me about Hunter Ed and their son or daughter hasn't been hunting, I will direct them to go through like the mentored youth hunt program, go out with mom or dad, sit, hunt. They get they get their their own licenses and everything. Um, If you want to know more, it is in the Hunter, the um, rules and regulations. There's, for also, the t- there's also an apprentice one as well. Correct. In a, I was talking with my dad actually last night about this. Um, the way I under the way I am reading this and understanding this, um, you can do the mentored youth program, which is for nine years and younger. So you do this at nine and ten on the mentored. Then you go over to the youth, do the youth hunt or the apprentice for another two years, because each one is good for two years. Or, or um, so say you want to take your five-year-old out hunting and they want to hunt. They can start at five years old on the mentored youth. They can do that up to ten. So they got four or five years there. Do the uh, apprentice license for another two years and then you got to go to go through a hunter ed program. Right. So, so there are options to judge the interest of the kids if they want to do it. If you still have your um, rules and regulations, it is on pages 27 and 28 of the hunter digest from last year. Awesome. Well, thanks Stephen for letting us know about the hunter education process, what, what is needed. And I thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. Like I stated before, if you have any questions, feel free to message me off of um, M- the MCH page. I will direct you the best that I can to help you out. And I will have links for everything I talked about for becoming an instructor links to be to take the hunter ed program online. Uh, finding a law certificate and being able to find a hunter ed class in your area. I'll definitely be getting with you on finding a law certificate. (laughs) Thank you, Martin. Have a great day. Thanks again, Stephen. We'll talk to you later.